Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising <clears throat> Tide Startups, and my guest today is Neil Parrick. Neil, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Very excited to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I am anxious to hear the backstory, but hey, if you and I were at like a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? <laughs> I, I, the million dollar question, right? What is your elevator pitch? How do you, how do you describe yourself, right? <laughs> it's your it's your personal elevator pitch. That's exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. I would I would call myself um, a remote local entrepreneur, meaning I have a local business, but I've been traveling for a while. So Kevin, I guess my backstory is I traveled for about five years while building my local business. Uh, and so I, I was across about 35 different countries and kind of figured out how to run a local company completely remotely. Came back because of this little thing called COVID. Uh, yeah. It's now back posted in Los Angeles. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of how to describe myself as a remote local entrepreneur. So backstory, family, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. School, so education, my, all that fun stuff. I grew up in um, South LA, North Orange County area, mm -hmm. like pure suburbs. Absolutely. So my parents, uh, they immigrated here from India uh, in the early 1980s. And Kevin, do you remember uh, like uh, video rental stores, like the blockbusters, things like yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. My parents ha uh, had their own called Video Town. So growing up, I was kind of always around small business, always, you know, in the video store, just looking around, we'll see what's going on. I watched a ton of movies, ate ton of ice cream, a bunch of candy of from the did. video That's store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kid's dream, right? Yeah. So I did that. They had a couple of stores um, while I was growing up. So kind of learned a, bit, a little bit about that and, you know, kind of got a little bit in the small business space. And then upon graduating, I actually went to go work in finance. I worked in uh, private equity and venture capital. Mm -hmm. So we were doing tech investing, um, which is very different from video rental stores, right? Yeah. Uh, but I loved it. I learned, I learned a ton. It was great. Um, and, and, you know, the, the idea, which I'm sure we're going to get to about me, this came from there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what a great segue. So I'm just curious. So I know you were just, you know, had a dream one night, you woke up and said, hey, I am going to do like a made, <laughs> a made res reservation service for Airbnbs, you know, or something yeah. like that. So had to walk us through the journey of, of you know, from pr private equity to voila, I had this, you know, this incredible vision. Yeah. Yeah. Very common transition, right? Kevin, private equity to cleaning company makes a as lot always, of sense. As most people do. Of course, right. as the normal path in life. So I, I was working in um, private equity and I was there for about four years. And halfway through, I kind of knew I wanted to leave and travel. I thought I'd be traveling for a year, like just backpacking. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to have some sort of side hustle while I'm doing that. Uh, at the same time, my parents had them being the video rental stores. They still had them in their mid 2010s, not doing too hot. Netflix was around, things like that. So I also wanted some sort of business to help make them money. Those were the two reasons. So I was searching for like anything. I was sitting in my cubicle, you know, doing my TPS reports, right? Just doing the financial models and did. like, yeah, of course. <laughs> in triplicate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice reference there. Yeah. So doing it and I, I kept thinking like, man, I want some sort of side hustle. So of course, I'm sure anyone listening to here Who's in a cubicle? I guarantee you've typed in start a side hustle, start a business, no, like escape the rat it. race. And you know, you get bombarded with all these different things. And I kept seeing pictures of a guy who was like working on his laptop on the beach. And I thought, hey, I want that lifestyle. I want to have a business which I could do while on the road because I want to travel. This makes so much sense. Let me look into it more. Now, this was like 2013, or sorry, 2014 ish, 2015 when I was really starting it. 
And um, at that point, I tried to do like e-commerce. You know, mm -hmm. I tried to do drop shipping. I tried to yeah. do online Amazon, marketing. Amazon, FBA. All exactly. The, yeah. Anything which is like, quote unquote, remote, which you could do, which people would love to sell you a course on, right? <laughs> uh, and so I was doing all these things. Nothing was really working. So finally, I was like, I was on Reddit um, when I was supposed to be working, quote unquote. Uh, Kevin, do you know Reddit? Reddit.com? Yep. 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 So I was on Reddit and there was a subreddit called Entrepreneur and a guy had posted how he started a cleaning company and he posted the steps to do it. So I thought, you know what the heck? Why not? I'm doing all these other things which aren't working anyways. Let me just give this a shot. Um, so I did. I created a very simple website. cost me a hundred bucks. I uh, found a cleaner on Craigslist um, and I just tried to do a little bit of online marketing uh, and it worked and it got my first sale. And Kevin, I remember I got, I, I did no idea what I was doing with Google AdWords, but uh, I somehow got a sale and went outside and started dancing in front of the building and super happy, just like, oh, you know, you get your first money online and you feel like the sense of freedom. So that's where it started. And it kind of kept cascading from there. I am really curious. I mean, it seems like to me that, that this is one of those areas. Uh, it's not like being in the medical, medical field or anything, but this seems like one of these areas that almost the liability exposure would scare me from getting into this line of business because you have so little control over just strangers that you're sending to, you know, to, uh, to people's houses. Correct. Did, how did, how did you deal with that initially and how did you kind of overcome that and, and work around that, that huge exposure? Yeah. I mean, look, in hindsight, uh, I, sometimes being naive is so great because I didn't even think about Ignorance the exposure. Right? It, I was just like, what I was what quote unquote brave to do that. Kevin Morelli, I was just stupid and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is, I'll just try this out. In hindsight, though, the reason here's the reason why it works, because a lot of people think that same thing. Then you realize cleaning companies have existed for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, small business exists for a very long time. Home service businesses has, have existed. There's a ton of them. There's franchises based on them. Like this is a very common thing, right? Maybe yep. nowadays in the, in the age we're at where we all want to start online businesses, do software companies, and you think like, oh, I'm not exposed to risk in that way. Sure, maybe there's a little bit less risk in terms of just the labor part. Um, but the reality is this has been around for a long time. This is nothing, it's not a really new concept. Well, the, the uniqueness though of this particular area looks like so if, if i'm going to work on your water heater or your dishwasher or whatever i'm probably going there while you're there Correct. this one almost seems like i'm sending people maybe when you're not there you know that that often as far as the cleaning and you're going to be there for a couple hours and you know all over the house and and you know but that, i i it really i mean i love the fact that you you talk about this this kind of fits into the same category as everything else that as far as a home service you know provider yeah. And I guess if you, if you think about categories of risk, Kevin, when it relates to, let's say, home services only, um, there's things which would be very heavy to do, maybe require a lot of expertise. Think mm -hmm. about plumbing. That's high yep. risk. Yeah. Very high risk. You mess up and then the whole place is flooded. Flood What's going to happen? Yeah. Right? Uh, the worst case here, like, yeah, I guess you could scratch a floor or something from a cleaner, but like most times it's, I forgot to take the trash out. Like, you know, you, there's there's no heavy lifting. There's not as, right. there's not too many things which can be, I'm not going to wood right now, Kevin that can be a huge liability. Um, so because of that, I think it's a little bit less than if you're doing something very heavy duty, uh, for sure. So you're, you said 215, 2016, or kind of in that space, you, you, you know, found your first cleaner on Craigslist and you, you virtually were just like the broker, right? You were, you were selling the service then you got to find the, the person to actually deliver on that, that promise that you made on your website. When did it, it morph into, into more than just, I've just got a local cleaning company. Yeah. So um, 
so let's go back to me dancing outside, dancing outside. And they're like, great, I got a sale. Like, made 10 crap. bucks. Yeah, made 10 hours, bucks. Made I think I lost bucks. Bu- I think I lost money on that one too because I paid way. Like, Google Ads, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, so I'm pretty sure I lost money on that one. But anyways, I was stoked. I didn't, now I said, okay, now I need to get a cleaner and deliver the service. At that point, I didn't even know what to do. So I, look, I found a cleaner on Craigslist, sent the cleaner, cleaner did the job. Cleaner said, I want to get paid. I didn't even think through this, through this part. So I said, okay, pull up in front of my building. And I just went to the ATM, took out cash and gave the cleaner cash. And I did this for a while. And uh, in hindsight, uh, <laughs> I would not have done it because from my corporate building, you could see me go into a car and handing cash in the car. So everyone <laughs> like in my building deal. thought I was a drug dealer. <laughs> they all called me a drug dealer. <laughs> but that was the early part. Then you kind of develop and you realize, like, okay, I'm going to have a payroll software. I need to get them properly signed up. I need to do X, Y, and Z uh, for it. So it probably took like a few months to maybe even a year to really hone down the system for just, hey, what, what am I looking for in a cleaner? Um, how do I pay them? How do I schedule them? Things like that. And then when it really started to click, um, probably a year after I launched was uh, we started to get calls from people who wanted vacation rental planning, right? Because the be- mm. beginning was just residential. And people said, hey, I want to do Airbnbs. I said, no, that's not what we do. We do residential. But then this is like, let's say 2014, 2015, Airbnbs just really started to come up where people would lease a place, sublease it. And it was just kind of a early stages of, of shared economy. Um, so at that point, uh, I looked into it and said, hey, wow, these people need 10 cleanings a month per property, not just one cleaning a month, huge opportunity. Um, so dove a little bit more into that and started to really specialize in the vacation rental space. And because of that and the challenges with that, it kind of helped formalize a lot of what I was doing, right? You have to problem solve and say, these people, this specific niche needs a type of service. What do we need to do to cater to them? And that helped really formalize it. So I think I'd probably say it took, took a year to two years to kind of really get systemized with what we're doing. And then of course, every, every year after that, you keep improving it. One other thing that I noticed about, you know, when we use Airbnb is that often the cleaning fee is built into the rental. It's like, you know, here's the rental fee, here's the cleaning fee, here's taxes, you know, it's kind of broken down like that. So, I mean, I've already, if I'm the landlord, I've already built in that fee to clean the place, you know, and, I've, and I'm receiving that as part of the rental and I can just pass that on to you, your service to, you know, to, to come in and, and clean. So it's, it's a very seamless process. And, and yeah. uh, I didn't even think about the idea of, you know, you're going to clean a place 10, 15 times a month versus, you know, maybe twice, you know, if it just it, higher really volume. It, it's a B2B sale, right? Not B2C. Um, we actually, so um, I guess fast forward, we started franchising this year, meaning we're selling me this franchises across the country for anyone mm-hmm. who wants to do the same thing, work remotely, have a local business, um, piggyback off the concept. So we're actually the first um, franchise that exists that focuses on vacation rental turnovers. Uh, but that exact hypothesis of what you said, that that exact competitive advantage is what we're going after, which is uh, it's B2B sale. It is still residential cleaning, um, but the need for this is never going to go away, right? Short-term rentals are going to exist. Uh, overnight, all these quasi-hotels popped up, which are Airbnbs, right? right. Not enough, there's not enough cleaning companies to service them because literally overnight, every single house became a potential hotel. Um, so huge, huge demand, and that's kind of our niche and what we're going after. You, you nailed it. B2B, high volume. They pass on the cost to the end uh, consumer as well. Mm-hmm. So they could just simply add it into their fees. So is this a, is it a competitive space? You know, they, is the vacation rental space or other cleaning services figuring this out like you did and, and you're seeing that, you know, an increased competition? Yeah, people are figuring it out. I, don't th- I think 
the interesting part about local businesses, it's highly fragmented, right? Mm. You have large franchises, Molly Mage, you've got Mage, things like that across mm -hmm. the country who already have their system and know what they're doing. There are a lot of them, they do residential cleaning. Airbnbs are relatively new. So the mm -hmm. only ones doing it are probably individual cleaning companies in that city. Typically not even formalized cleaning companies. Most times it's mom and pop shops saying, hey, we're going to clean this Airbnb and you hire me and, and we'll do it. There's some cities where I know like, you know, there might be a company who's in both Austin and Dallas, for example, mm -hmm. a formalized company. Uh, but there's not really any sophisticated players in the game, which is something to discuss as well as it relates to local market. Just local competitors aren't very sophisticated, which is why I like this. Um, so, what, um, for example, what our software does is we could sync, let's say, Kevin, you're an Airbnb host. I, I could sync with your calendar. Anytime a guest checks out, it'll automatically schedule a cleaning with us automatically assign the primary and backup cleaner. Whenever the cleaner is done, the checklist gets automatically sent to the customer. A mom and pop shop is not going to be doing this, right? right. And you have Evergreen. Like the, every single city is a potential target market because every single city has Airbnbs now. Yeah. Uh, and Except residential Asheville, homes. North Carolina for some reason. Yeah. It's just crazy. That, that's <laughs> My son lives there and he says, you, you can't do Airbnb in, in the city of Asheville, which is just Oh, really? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's just city. probably because they had too many Airbnbs there. So it's a rent control. You know, it may be. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to your point about competition, another thing to mention about that, Kevin, is um, think about what I did when I went outside and danced, right? I put up a stupid Google ad and it somehow converted and someone actually called me. Mm -hmm. uh, before this, I was doing like e-commerce and all this like higher level of digital marketing, but nothing was working. All of a sudden, I threw up a really, really bad digital marketing ad for cleaning and it converted. The point being, um, you just need to be kind of current with the times to be ahead mm -hmm. in local marketing. Right. Uh, yeah, I'd say cleaning true. companies, local services are two to three years behind the market in terms of in digital marketing. Or so 15. just be current or 15 <laughs> or 15. Right. Yeah. So just so be current and you're already ahead. Thing? I know. <laughs> what the heck is a computer? Yeah. You see Netscape still? That's exactly from my, my AOL account. You know, yeah. Right. Alta Vista. That's Dial right. Up. That is exactly right. I, the, the, the whole concept is fascinating. I mean, have you have you had any conversations with some of the larger like Verbo or, you know, Airbnb about, you know, how can we partner, you know, as, as like an add-on service, you know, as part of your your, you know, larger offering? Yeah, I, I think um, that conversation will come as we expand, made this across the country, right? So right now, um, we just launched a franchise arm this last year. So we have two corporate locations, one in California, one in SF. We have two franchisees. One is in uh, Denver, and the other mm -hmm. one is in Myrtle Beach. Uh, and as we get more and more and we get more footprint, then we can start to go to the bigger guys and get actual partnerships. Um, but right now, it's hugely fragmented market. There's no one cleaning companies across the whole nation. They've tried that in the past, but it, it is a specialized thing. You can't just have any cleaning company go and say, yeah, I could do Airbnbs because you need yeah. to know how to report damages, how to report supplies. Um, it's a little bit more specialized. Well, and I think that's that's part of the sophistication of, of you know, that you could franchise that those types of things that say a mom and pop shop may have a difficulty in maybe even providing that information and providing the, I mean, like you said, the, the kind of the online checklist and automatic automatically forwarding to the to the landlord or whoever it is that you know is checking on this yeah like we said maybe we'll, they'll get there in like 15 years after they get off dial up right so that's exactly right at some exactly. point yeah so how is so when when did you make the, the actual transition was this in 2018 did you say or what was the what was the year that you kind of thought i'm not going to do this local cleaning thing anymore we're going to franchise this we're going to make it more of a kind of a you know we're going to provide the kind of the back-end services 
Sure. Yeah. So actually, I think around the end of 2015 is when my, I quit my private equity job. Mm-hmm. And I booked a one-way flight to Columbia, South America. And I said, I'm going to do this while traveling and kind of built the systems in that way. So my office team is actually across about six different countries right now, mm-hmm. all servicing the local market. Cleaners are local as well. So that was growing and going very well. And around 2018, I was thinking about, um, hey, how can we expand? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think we we're pushing almost a, at least 100K per month in revenue. That's amazing. Um, so, so doing well at that point. And I just wanted to know what the next thing is. And, you know, I've been, I'd been doing this for a while then. A couple options um, in terms of expansion as it relates to local business. You could go vertical, meaning stay in your same city, just keep diving deeper, do a lot of different value add-on services. For example, mm-hmm. you start with cleaning. You say, great, can we do windows as well? Upsell that. Can we do carpets as well? Upsell that. Just keep upselling, keep going deeper, maybe even starting another company, which is related, and then start upselling that. Mm-hmm. It's all possible. Um, I, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to expand across the country, but it'd be too much of a lift for me to do that myself. Mm-hmm. So someone at a conference told me about the idea of a franchise. And I thought that's like, that's what my parents do. I don't, I don't, we don't do franchising. That's, that's like the old school <laughs> way of doing it. Uh, but the more and more I looked into it and talked to people, I thought, Hey, I could actually come at this in a unique way, like completely remote, super lean franchise, uh, kind of new age targeting millennial crowd going out to Airbnbs and vacation rentals. Like I just kind of wanted to come at it a little bit different and it was just a different business, right? You're selling mm-hmm. franchising, which is a very different concept. So that expansion came out and yeah, I guess, Kevin, I would say it was, it wasn't out of the desire for me to build something like great and grand and say, I want to, you know, have a brand, which is going to last forever. It was just kind of the next evolution of growth, which seemed like a great challenge. I decided to, to try it out. So when, you, when you're talking about to a potential franchisee, are these generally people that are already in the cleaning space? Or are these just people that say, you know what, I'm kind of like at a lifestyle I'm kind of aiming toward. And I just want to, I want to run something from a laptop and, you know, with the, with the little martini sitting on the side, exactly. you know, a little, little drink with an umbrella in it, you know, <laughs> exactly. By the way, when I finally did get to a beach with my laptop, I realized there's way too much glare. You can't even work on the beach. So even <laughs> though I, I achieved that image, I thought about my cubicle is completely fake. That's just, exa- that's just a zoom background. Is, I know. I was like, is, oh, this is, this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? What does it look like? I mean, who's your, yeah. who's your potential franchise client the ideal franchise is probably someone similar to me when i started which is uh, let's say you're working at a corporate company and you want to quote unquote escape the rat race you want Mm -hmm. some sort of side hustle and and evolve to that or you're an existing entrepreneur and you know the local space is where you want to be because competition is a little bit less you could piggyback off of our exact system that i've already battle tested spent a ton of money and time creating a lot of mistakes uh i've made which you don't have to make anymore piggyback off the system and do that. So actually it would not be a cleaner. It would be someone escaping the rat race, trying to find a new venture, um, never wants to clean, but wants to work behind a laptop. And ideally yep. someone who, you know, at some point says, Hey, I want to be location independent. I want to work from home. If I want to, I want to work from Timbuktu if I want to, and that's okay. And these are, are, is this solely in the vacation rental space or is it, is that just one of the markets that you could potentially serve? Uh, residential and vacation rental. I typically advocate for franchisees to go after built. Why? Because there's seasonality. Um, mm-hmm. Some cleaners are better suited for one versus the other. Um, there's higher volume of people looking for residential cleaning. So that'd be like, Kevin, if you're looking for a monthly, bi-weekly, weekly cleaning, we'd help with that. And then you, uh, we teach the franchisees the way to make sure you can schedule it so you could actually do vacation rentals as well. Right. right. Yeah. So it'd be both the niches for sure. What's interesting, Kevin, is like before COVID, I think we we're probably 75% 
Airbnb revenue, then currently it's probably 75% residential just because mm-hmm. COVID hit, travel yeah. went away, a shut lot of down. places shut down. It's starting to come back and right. I have a feeling it's going to settle around 50-50. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite enjoying the residential side now that we've dove more into it. Well, and, and it's, it's almost like an added revenue stream that, that when the Airbnb side of things does pick up, you'll still have the, the residential side, you know, built up as well. So it's just, you're just, you're stacking. Exactly. Dollar, dollar Stack. bill, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you could look, you could piggyback off of the same labor force, the same office staff, everything for that. Right. And all of a sudden you can market to a different audience. So it, it actually works out really, really well. So the, the local franchisee, are they, are they generally looking for local cleaning companies to kind of contract with, or are these, they looking for individuals or what's kind of the model? Uh, it could be both. So we run a contractor model where typically it's individual contractors. Um, mm-hmm. However, we're also going to be experimenting with an employee model. Uh, they're not too different. It's just the onboarding would be a little bit different, right? You have an employee, you do training, you dictate to them what to do with contractors. You don't, you just recruit experienced contractors. Right. So the models are not too different. I guess the back office admin stuff is probably a little bit different for that. Uh, but it, it just depends on the state labor laws as well as the labor market. For mm-hmm. example, there's some markets where contractors is just like not really a known thing amongst labor force, right? Everyone just assumes you could only be an employee. So it might yep. be harder to recruit contractors right. versus places like LA, New York or Miami. Like it's, it's, just, it's just a little bit, it's more normal. People understand right. that type of economy. Right. So yeah, it does depend where you are. And there's, I mean, like you said, every state is different. Like, you know, who can be considered a, like a W-9 contract, independent contractor versus, you know, somebody that's going to have to be, you know, treated like an employee and, you know, how you direct their work and how often they work and do they work for anyone else other than, are you their sole, you know, I guess, uh, client. So different thing, state by know? state it is wild. Sometimes it basically like makes me think about the U.S., Kevin, and like, Every state literally gets to pick their own laws as it relates to business. It's like 50 different countries, truly. It is. Uh, it is kind of wild with it when you think about business in this way. There is there is no doubt about it. Different tax laws, different reporting. Yeah, yep. sure. And that's, I think that, that is, that may be by design. I don't, I don't know, but it, it does make it more difficult when you want to operate in you know, a number of different states because you, yeah. you do have to comply on in so many different levels. But tell me what, uh, what's been some of the hurdles that, you know, you've encountered, you know, once you've kind of made the switch more to the kind of the franchise or model, mm-hmm. what are, what are some of the, you know, speed bumps that you hit, hit along the way and you're going, man, this, these were hard lessons to learn. Yeah. I think um, when it's just you, uh, and you don't need to replicate your model and teach other people, you could kind of get away with just hacking it together. Cause you're like, I, I have the knowledge in my head and my team has knowledge. It's okay. If it's not fully systemized. It's okay. If there's a little bit holes, like if you hold a bucket open and there's holes, it's okay. Right. We'll survive. Uh, when you are all of a sudden selling this to other people and trying to ensure that they're successful, you need things really buttoned up. Mm-hmm. And the more you teach other people, the more you're going to learn and the more you realize where your system's got to improve. And so I think a lot of it for me was just, simplifying and making sure things are buttoned up so that way it's easy for the franchisee um for example um let's say with our sales script right my sales team has been with us for a long time they know what they're doing um so something very simple is how do i make the sales script so bulletproof and easy that anyone can learn it the franchisee could train their people to learn it um so you know, I had to go back to the sales script, of course, document it, but also put training videos together, mm. teach them why you say each individual step, 
um, put that in an ops manual, put that in an online uh, learning management system as well. So it really was just honing down and systemizing what we're doing. Part of that, Kevin's, I think, good because eventually, you know, you need a highly systemized company in order to operate. So it's better that I got this done out of force and that yeah. because I needed to, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess in the end it works out, but just a lot more work, which I could have done ahead of time, which I did. I and I think just the feedback loop from you know franchisees as well that they're saying, you know, hey, I've gone through the training. This is these are parts I didn't understand. This is these are gaps that you know. Uh, even questions they're asking you as, as it's going on. And I'm, cause I'm assuming there's, there's some form of kind of online or ongoing coaching or, you know, mentorship or some connection back with the, with, with you, the kind of the mothership. Oh, hundred percent. So um, the cool part is since we're a little bit young, right. We've only been franchising for under a year. Um, it's very personal. Um, mm -hmm. So of course you do a couple months of training, which is part-time around the person's schedule. Uh, and then there's ongoing uh, coaching calls every single week, checking in on progress. Uh, we actually run, Kevin, I'm sure you're familiar with EOS, like the Entrepreneur Operating System. Mm -hmm. uh, we run that in our home office. So I'm pretty that, much pushing Gina that. Gina Wickman or whatever. Gina Wickman, yeah, okay, from the book yeah. Traction. Yeah. So I'm pretty much pushing that into the franchise systems as well. So conduct the meeting in the L10 meeting format, um, You know, kind of forcing the franchisees to adhere to the system we have. But the cool part for them is like, I am so heavily involved in the first few franchises that they have pretty much like unlimited access to yeah, me yeah. Uh, for now. I keep, that, that's not going to scale. So I'm sure the next time we hop in the show, you'll be like, what's the sticking point? And I'll say, well, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to have to ask my people. <laughs> exactly, <right>. exactly. <laughs> uh, but for now it is doable. Uh, but yeah, just heavy involvement on the franchisors and just to make sure our franchisees are very successful. That view out that window is going to be different. It's going to look like a beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 certainly certainly yeah. gonna look different so what are some of the 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 kind of the highlights that you know you, in the last year when you look back i mean what are the some of those that what moments would make you walk out the door now and do a happy dance outside Ooh. again like you did your first dollar yeah i i i guess it's the first of everything like the first time um we awarded our first franchisee and even the second one i was beyond excited right because you have someone buying into your concept buying into you uh it's just a kind of like a vote of confidence in some mm -hmm. ways so you know honestly i think that one of the biggest exciting points is our second franchisee dan um he's in myrtle beach he um is working a corporate he's working in sales at a company he wants doing this as a side hustle wants to quit so we're working on that together i remember getting a text from him when the morning when i woke up he's like neil call me back immediately I called him and he was stoked because we hadn't even launched and he already got his first sale, right? And you have that kind of money milestone, that type of feeling yep. I had when I went outside of my corporate building and dance. I'm sure he had that as well. Yeah. And it was just very rewarding for me to say, how cool is that, that I was able to help him achieve that to some extent. So uh, for me, I, I actually, I get a kick out of doing that now is just helping franchisees repeat what I did. Hopefully with a lot less mistakes, you don't have to act like a drug dealer. You know, you can do it in a more <laughs> systemized way. That's the goal. Yeah, don't carry around a lot of cash and just sneak no. people in a on the street. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like vicarious Groundhog Day. You get to you get to vicariously live this experience over That's and over a, again in a good way with with uh, people as they have their first sale. You know, as a vicarious franchisee. Groundhog Day. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you can take place. it. You don't have to give me credit for it. Yeah, cool. <laughs> your own. But so let me ask you, just from a franchise standpoint, so. There's kind of like two models, franchise models. There's one that's kind of high barrier to entry, maybe low residuals. And then there's others that says it's a it's a really kind of low fee 
but yet maybe the percentage of, of, you know, the ongoing monthly, you know, percentage rev share or whatever is a little higher. Mm -hmm. How did you arrive at what your model was going to be? Uh, I asked people smarter than me. So I worked with a consulting group who analyzed other cleaning companies in the market, just kind of looked at what is about standard on par and also kind of looked at the systems and what we're offering, right? Um, so our fee, our initial fee is 35,000 currently. Um, there's some companies would charge more, some companies would charge less. Uh, but then also we also looked at the amount of what we're providing for that, right? A mm -hmm. uh, couple months training, fully full tech setup, full full like coaching. Like it just, there's so much provided in that. So we actually took, we looked at the value of that as well. Um, and look, it's just, just from purely the shared resources where like the franchisee doesn't have to sign up for Zapier and like Typeform and all these different things. It, it really adds up. They don't have to do SEO. Um, it ends up being a lot more in value and savings than they would have to just pay me to do it. Um, so that's, we kind of looked at all factors when coming into, into that number. Um, I guess, Kevin, to your question though, you're asking for even for other franchisors who have like high fees and like why they do that. Yeah. I, I would almost say it just depends on the industry you're in, right? I think home services mm -hmm. you generally find are going to be kind of the same ballpark, mm -hmm. kind of like what made this is what you've got made this, what Molly made this. If you go into like Top Golf, it's going to be a different set of fees, which sure. is very normal right. for yeah. them. So I have a feeling everyone's kind of copying them, copying each other. Seems like it. That makes sense. And so, what does the franchisee get for? I, I know they're they're going to obviously get training. They're probably going to get the system, that type. But any any ongoing support? I mean, you mentioned they don't have to do SEO. I mean, what what does that mean? Are you doing that for them on the back end? Yeah, yeah. So uh, of course, the ongoing coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Weekly coaching. Um, having them track their key performance indicators as well to make sure they're on track, which took me way too long to figure out that this is so important, but it's mm. an easy way to analyze the health of the company. So um, we'll, we'll do anything tech related for them. Um, website maintenance, upgrading the websites, uh, lead capture pop-ups. We build the email funnels for them. So, you know, let's say you get a quote, sending the quote, the email, ongoing newsletters, um, SEO is, is part of it. A lot of the setup as it relates to anything related to paid ads, you know, the franchisee mm -hmm. would be in charge of what paid ads they want to run for their city since it's their money. Um, then there's a ton of other things we do in terms of like research, uh, additional support, the shared resources for tech. So instead of signing up for your own, own iteration of software, we simply use a shared one, meaning you don't have to dish out the money for that. So right. a lot of economies of scale, I think, is where a lot of the same things come from. And how do you determine territories? Is it are these certain zip codes? Is it you, you get a metro area? What, how are you determining, you know, what that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my philosophy like the is- the whole state of Texas. <laughs> right, so would I. <laughs> or all of Florida, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what's crazy is Florida has 30% of the nation's vacation rentals. Yeah. Uh, the state I, of Florida. Know, the whole East Coast, I mean, from, from Virginia South, I mean, it's just amazing how many, you know, North Carolina, I mean- South Carolina, Georgia. I mean, the, the whole, that whole coast is just full of ah, vacation rentals. Yeah. Uh, so to your question about territory, Kevin, um, my philosophy is that I want to give enough people room to hunt, but I don't want them to have too much room. And here, here's the reason why. Um, when I was in uh, open up shop in LA, right? I went after all of Los Angeles. Terrible decision, right? There's, there's so much room over here that I was just spreading my marketing dollars way too thin, trying to go mm -hmm. after all of Los Angeles, unnecessary, yeah. right? At the same time, I do see other franchise systems say, hey, we're only going to give you 49,000 households. You have to pay us a dollar for every additional household you want in your territory, which I think is kind of like, you're almost milking the franchisee. I think it's a little bit um, 
I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, so our reasoning, our, our logic is, hey, we're going to give fat territories, 150 to 250,000 households roughly, um, and give them enough room to hunt, but not enough, not so big where they're spending the marketing dollars way too thin unless right. they can handle it. Because the reality is you can make a lot of money with just a small territory if you just dive deep. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the logic in how we actually structure territories around zip codes and households. And our, I mean, it's it's easy to just sit here and talk about, oh, there's all these Airbnbs out there and there are Verbos and other other options out there, the vacation rentals and a lot mm -hmm. of residential houses. They're, they're everywhere. I mean, everybody lives in a house. But there's also a, you know, a large number of cleaning options out there too. So how do you, how do you kind of win without just like racing other companies to the bottom, you know, just trying to beat them on price all the time. So how, what's the, what's the competitive advantage or your, I guess your, you know, your USP. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll talk about competitive advantage, but let's even talk about how much opportunity there is in the market, right? Because the reality is not everyone in the market is booking one cleaning service. It's not happening. Mm -hmm. First of all, yeah. there's not enough capacity for that cleaning service. So let's go through an example, Kevin. Let's say um, someone wants to reach a million dollars in revenue, right? Eight, that's $84,000 in revenue per month. Um, Kevin, how many? Um, how much would you say an average like cleaning is for an Airbnb or even a residential home? I mean, just a, a one-off, uh, I don't know, 150 bucks. I'm Perfect. 150 bucks. Let's say you're only cleaning it twice a month. So I'm sandbagging this a lot. Mm -hmm. Twice a month. So you're getting $300 per property in that month. So if you need $84,000 in revenue um, and each property is giving you $300, you only need 280 homes on a recurring basis, right? To achieve that. If a territory size is 150 to 250,000 households and you only need less than 300 to have a million dollar business, there's enough room for everyone to hunt. So, you know, people ask, how do I think about competition? I like it. I think that means there's enough of a market for everyone, right? Right. Now, that means like if you go to a place like New York, you might not be able to compete and rank on SEO as quick as you would in Asheville or in, mm -hmm. you know, Omaha. Um, you know, it, it would just be different depending on the tier city you're in. So, tactics will change. But the reality is you don't need that many customers to make a good amount of money in this right. business. Right. Yeah. Now that, that that's and with Airbnb, I mean exponentially it grows. If they're doing it instead of two times a month, you're doing it ten. You know. Right. Like, then you need twenty customers. Yeah, right. You need it's 20, just, 20 yeah. Airbnb hosts. That's right. Yeah. So have you thought about other? I mean, you you, you kind of mentioned these add-on services that you could potentially have done. You know, early on and you know kind of driven deep in a vertical. But what about what about uh, you know, additional services. I mean, do you have that? That's kind of like 2.0, 3.0 versions of, of made this that say, we're going to add these services down the road. Or we're going to add these services on down the road. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Kevin, I would love to take your your feedback and your brain power to see what you think would actually be good, right? It shouldn't um, take long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. Right. I'm on dial up right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, well, so there, there's a couple of target niches, right? So uh, we're, we're going after residential, we're going after Airbnb. With Airbnb, um, you're towing a fine line because you can offer property management, but then you're also competing against your customer who are property management companies. So there's many things you could do eventually like supply pickup. You could do laundry turnovers for them and charge per load or per bag. Um, so there's a lot of whatever the hosts need, you could provide. And as yeah. it relates to residential cleaning, if you want to provide window washing, you could do that. A lot of hosts ask for carpet cleaning for move out services, right? So there's a lot of different ancillary services once you're in the home. Mm -hmm. And I think that's even money that's we've left on the table because so far we haven't really had to do that upsell process and haven't really dialed that in, in, in Los Angeles. 
but there's so much opportunity to be had just by really honing in. Like the cleaners are already going to be in the client's home. What else can you sell them? You've already earned their trust, right? All you have to do yep. is deliver a good job and say, okay, hey, do you need also this? And they'll say, yeah, actually, I do need that. Let me just book with this company I already know. Right. So there's so many opportunities once you're in the client's home to grow. Um, it's it's hugely scalable, right? Mm -hmm. We've we've scaled more horizontal, but any franchisee, even us in LA, we could really go deep. Kevin, what are your thoughts on on just different avenues to expand? Well, I, I mean, my the first question that came to mind. I mean, I think it's a it's a great opportunity. You're exactly right. You because you have established trust. You're already connected, you know, to the, mm -hmm. to the client. But I would think that that you would, I mean, you're breaking almost kind of this cardinal rule of entrepreneurship where you, you're, you're, you're spreading yourself too thin and you're not staying focused on, on, mm -hmm. you know, the, the target, you know, type thing until you really have scaled that. But I also think that you could easily run into issues with franchisees if you gave them the freedom almost individually to add on services, because now you're, it's just like a, you know, you just opened the, the door and all the cats just escaped in all directions. You know, you're trying to get them back to together, them. you know, before you know it, they're doing grocery delivery services and they're mowing, mowing yards and exactly you know, they're painting houses and stuff like that. You're thinking it's like, if you're going to McDonald's and there's like even a clean anymore. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. right. Yeah. I went to, went to McDonald's and bought a skateboard. Exactly. You know, I'm thinking something we, we kind of lost our heart here, you know, kind of lost the vision of, of the, or the original vision that you, this was founded under. So, yeah, um, we, we, uh, it's funny. You mentioned that literally in our agreement is what the franchisee can and can't do in terms mm -hmm. of, in terms of opportunity. So, I would, like I said, with territories, I also want to make sure they have enough opportunity to go after, which means they could go after any residential opportunity, any vacation rent opportunity. But if someone comes and says, I want to start painting, you know, we yep. say, Hey, not, it's not under me, this brand. Uh, we just have to keep things intact. Let's focus in. There's so much greenfield, just, just really hone in on that. So I think you're hundred percent right. Kevin is you don't want to get distracted, right? Yep. Do what you're good at. And then once you've maxed out the market, then you can start adding on other services. But absolutely, like yeah. we talked about, you only need 300 customers and that's 0.01% of the market. Um, it'd be very hard to max out the market. Yeah. And I, I think the fact that you're, you're kind of early entry too, I mean, you're, you're kind of have that first mover advantage in this space as far as franchising is concerned. And I think that that will certainly benefit you. And, and just the, the reach of this podcast to the millions of listeners that we're going to have, you know, yeah. on this, I mean, who knows, you could just be bombarded with, with, uh, with, you know, potential franchisees just overnight, but yeah, yeah hey, I, I hope so. Yeah. Anxious to hear, hear your story moving forward. And man, I could, I could just can sit here and like I said, ask, ask you questions all night long, but I, Hey, you've got a franchise to run, you know, and I want to, I want to, <laughs> I've sure. got some drug deals to do. Absolutely. You got some drug, you gotta go outside and pay somebody <laughs> cash, you know, so somebody's sitting in their car waiting on you to come down and bring us, bring them a lot of cash. So, yeah. Hey, is there anything we haven't touched on that you, you just would think that'd be great to wrap us up with and it might be helpful to our listeners? No, I, I think I think we covered a lot of my story, but I guess for your listeners, if anyone's listening who um, is thinking about starting a business, um, you know, I, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but just go ahead and do it. Try out anything. I tried out a bunch of things and then finally went on a random Reddit post and it started to work, right? You don't really know what's going to pop up until you actually get in there. Uh, the yep. phrase I was like is you can't steer a parked car. Mm. Um, so think about that as you, as you dive into business and opportunity and just kind of get going. And I know it's cliche to say that, Kevin, but for me, it worked out. 
just do it just there's there's a, a famous quote that says you know a boat is is always safe in the harbor but that's not what boats were designed to, to mm, do there we go you know and I just it kind of fits in exactly what you were talking about but yeah well neil i, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight just kind of explaining the just really the story behind made this and and just i i, I love the concept and i think that hey it's a it's a great opportunity for those that are listening that are you know are sitting in that that cubicle doing their TPS reports that are ready to, to take that step out. And, man, just thank you for just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Neil, have a great weekend. Thank you, Kevin. It's fun. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.